This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman, bringing clarity to Washington, D.C. news. We see corruption at every level in Washington. Exposing the deception plaguing our nation's capital. Not only what he told every Republican senator, but what he told the press over and over and over again was a simple lie and helping Christians stay informed about government. This puts a bigger burden on voters to go figure out what's actually going on. This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman on American Family Radio. An opening on the Supreme Court. That's what we'll be discussing today on the show. Welcome to this edition of Exposing Washington on the American Family Radio Network, I am your host, Walker Wildman. So we'll be discussing the opening that happened this past week on the Supreme Court and the importance that that, uh, that, that has on our country and really on future generations. Multiple ways to keep up with the show. You can follow us at AFR.net, AFR.net on the podcast page there. If you visit our website, AFR.net, Uh, At the top of the page there, there'll be a podcast link. Click on that and then scroll down a little bit and there'll be Exposing Washington podcast page. And there you can find all the show recordings along with a lot of the news stories we talk about. I'll link those there so you can read farther into the news that we talk about. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Walker Wildman on Twitter at Walker Wildman on Twitter. I often post a lot of the news stories uh, prior to the show on my Twitter page. So if you're trying to get a glimpse into what we're going to talk about, you can follow me on Twitter. Lastly, you can email me, exposingwashington at AFR.net, exposingwashington at AFR.net. So this week, Justice Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court sent President Trump a letter and visited the Oval Office and told President Trump, that he would be retiring officially effective on July 31st, 31st, I believe. So in just over a month, Justice Kennedy will be officially retired. And this opens up another seat on the Supreme Court. Many of you remember Judge Neil Gorsuch is a product of Justice Antonin, Antonin Scalia passing away uh, just about two years ago, I guess, and maybe longer than that, actually. Between two and three years ago, Antonin Scalia uh, passed away, and that created a void in the Supreme Court, an open seat. President Trump was able to appoint Judge Nogorsuch, and that has paid off tremendously in these court rulings that we've seen coming out of the Supreme Court in recent days. Before I jump into this subject, my opinion on it, kind of how we should view it, I want to play clip one here. This is President Trump in the Oval Office being asked who he will appoint next. Let's listen. Who will you pick to replace him, sir? Thank you. Well, we have uh, obviously uh, numerous people. We have a list of 25 people that I actually had during my election. I had to 20, and as you know, I added five uh, a little while ago. Uh, We have a a very... uh, Excellent list of great talented, highly educated, highly intelligent, hopefully uh, uh, tremendous people. I think the list is very outstanding. When I was running, I I put down uh, a list of 20 people. 
because not being a politician, I think people wanted to uh, hear what some of my choices may be, and it was pretty effective. And um, I think you see the kind of quality that we're looking at when you look at that list. Uh, but I, I did add, I added five uh, additional people to the list. So it will be somebody from that list. So we have now boiled it down to about 25 people. Well, there you have it, President Trump. Once again, committing to his list that he's already put together, the list he posted, um, he publicized during the campaign, which is actually remarkable. And I talked about this on Sandy Rios in the morning. I talked about it on Sandy's show when I guest host hosted, guest hosted, I guess you could say, for her this past Thursday. But th- this is incredible that a candidate would commit to a list of roughly 20 to 25 candidates for the Supreme Court and promise that he will stick to that list. Because we all know that politicians love giving these generic answers, they won't commit to anything, and they hardly follow through on anything they do commit to. But President Trump, then candidate Trump, defies the odds, goes against the norms, and commits to a list of very good judges. Now, there are some judges on the on his list of potentials that I disagree with on some rulings, but for the most part, all of the of the potential nominees on President Trump's list are very good. And maybe on a future show in the coming weeks, I will go through that list and give my opinion on which ones I really like, which ones I don't like so much, and and we'll go through that process. That'll be a, well, that'll take the entire show. So. But this is going to be the nomination process and the confirmation process is going to be, I would say, one of the most heated political debates in American history. And the reason I say that is because the Supreme Court has idolized. No, let me take that back. The left and the liberals and the Democrats have idolized the Supreme Court so much that it is as if it's some divine being and it helps to to carry out the lefty purposes. I mean, you look at all the major court rulings, you look at all the, quote, wins that the left has gotten over the past 40 or 50 years, they all come from the court system. I mean, name one big liberal item other than Obamacare that has been pushed through via Congress, and there's hardly any, even at the state level, with the exception of California and maybe New York, none of the other states can get any of this socialized health care, you know, welfare for all. No, no, none of these states can get this stuff through because it's widely unpopular. It's widely un- unpopular amongst the American public. So the left has idolized the court system. They've idolized the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court gave us Roe v. Wade, which was nowhere, it was nowhere in their ballpark to be ruling on. They shouldn't have even been ruling on it. That's a state issue. They ruled on on homosexual, quote, marriage, and that was nowhere in their ballpark. They shouldn't have been ruling on it, but they did. And so all of this is really coming to backfire on the liberals and the Democrats. And they're going to be, I mean, they're already acting outraged. I have a story here. This is from the Daily Caller. And it has a lot of these 
pop stars. I don't even know who they are, but they're supposed pop stars. You know, a lot of, quote, famous people. And they're just absolutely outraged that Anthony Kennedy's going to retire. Just to read a couple of these uh, of these tweets here where folks are venting. One guy said by the name of Andrew Cohen, he said, for starters, abortion rights are more imperiled now than at any time since Roe v. Wade. And there is no reason to think that there won't be a rollback of gay rights either with Kennedy gone. And that is great news for those of us who are Christians, who are followers of Christ, who believe in the divine word of God and what it has to say about human life, the dignity of, of human, innocent human life, and what it has to say about human sexuality and what is right and what is wrong. So I hope that Roe v. Wade is overturned, and I hope that so-called gay rights, whatever that is, is also overturned. Because, honestly, homosexuality should still be illegal. The act of homosexuality should still be outlawed. And as a matter of fact, in a lot of states, it still is illegal. But we we, we don't follow our laws anymore. Moving on, another fellow, you might know this guy, by the name of Reverend Al Sharpton, he had to say this, a little more calm approach. He said, we have no choice but to organize, strategize, vote, and act, which I think is refreshing. Instead of burning down buildings, let's vote. He goes on to say, ambivalent attitudes are not an option. All civil and human rights are at stake. What side are you on? Well, all civil and human rights are at stake. The civil and human rights of innocent children in the womb, the civil and human rights of Christian business owners who don't want to capitulate to the sexual deviancy agenda. And so the left is already going uh, over the cliff, if you will, metaphorically. And I think it could turn violent. Literally, we've seen, and we'll talk about this more next week, but we've seen examples of these mobs approaching public officials and chanting shame, 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 and other stuff. And they're approaching these public officials in public while they're trying to have dinner or go to a movie, etc., so the left is going to come unhinged. They're coming unhinged right now. You, I just referenced a lot of those tweets a minute ago. But the, the GOP, the Republican Party, put together one of the greatest advertisements, one of the greatest, greatest political ads in a long time. And what they did is they compiled a video of all the Democrats basically wishing harm, physical harm, on conservatives and Trump supporters. And this is just a glimpse at what's going to happen during this nomination process for the next Supreme Court justice. Let's listen to clip two. A few years ago, ideas that we talked about were thought to be fringe ideas, radical ideas, extremist ideas. Those ideas are now mainstream. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant... In a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore 
Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless c What's Uncle Tom but for white women who disappoint other white women? One way you get rid of Trump is a crashing economy, so please bring on the recession. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Well, there you have it. That was an excellent ad, except I wished I wish we didn't have all of that B-roll, if you will, all that video and audio of the threats towards President Trump and his supporters. And those are not, you know, nobodies from who knows where. These are... These are very, quote, popular people. These are folks who have a lot of influence, a lot of them movie stars, a lot of them politicians. And if they keep up this rhetoric, somebody's going to get hurt. We saw last year Steve Scalise was nearly murdered in Arlington, Virginia, at a baseball field because a Bernie Sanders supporter, a hard lefty Democrat, drove up to the Republican baseball practice and started gunning down congressmen and senators. And some can say, well, you know, that doesn't represent the the majority of the Democratic Party. Well, I'm not so sure. After listening to that video clip, it sounds like there's a lot of people within the Democratic Party who have at once before advocated violence towards those they disagree with. Now, of course, it's not everybody, and I haven't said it's everybody in the Democratic Party, but I can put together a pretty hefty list of very influential people within the Democratic Party who have advocated some form of physical violence towards Trump supporters. I wrote an article, and you can, you can read it now at AFA.net, AFA.net, and the article is a call, is titled A Call for Civility. And I'm basically telling everyone, including myself, hey, let's calm down a little bit. Because this this discourse of threatening one another, calling each other Nazis, racist, homophobe, bigots, that is not helping our country. And it's not helping our future generations because if we think we're heated now, if we continue this, we're going to have another civil war. Now, I don't think we'll ever have another civil war like we did a long time ago over slavery, but it could be uh, it could be bloody if if folks keep advocating for violence because what'll happen is somebody'll take one of these politicians literally and they'll go shoot up a Republican club or a Republican town hall. who knows? So we all need to calm down, even those of us who are conservatives. But moving on, the Republicans have a slim majority in the Senate, 51 to 49. And one of those Republican senators is is in Arizona, Senator John McCain. He hasn't voted in a little uh, under a year now. 
because he's he has he's terminally ill with cancer in Arizona. And so that puts us to 50 Republican senators and you need 51 to confirm a Supreme Court nominee. Now Vice President Mike Pence could come over and break the tie. But if we lose one or two Republican senators who don't want to vote for President Trump's nominee, then we won't be able to get him passed. So, that being said, this is going to be a slim vote whenever it is held. And I would, I would recommend that we get this vote done sooner rather, rather than later because I think if we wait, the longer the Republicans wait to confirm a nominee, the more time the left and George Soros have time to organize. And I think over this nominee, there will be personal attacks. They, there will be false allegations. It's all in the works right now, my friends. There will be riots. To what extent, I don't know. I hope not. But I'm just telling you, they have idolized the Supreme Court so much that the idea of losing it is going to send them crazy. Because how else will their agenda, their globalist elite agenda, their socialist agenda be implemented if they don't have rogue judges? And so if we can't uh, get a good nominee, a very conservative constitutional nominee, then we may need to wait till we have more Republican senators in the Senate after, no, after the November election. But we don't need to settle for a wishy-washy judge who we don't know where he's going to land. Because that's, uh, that's what Anthony Kennedy, that, that's how we got Anthony Kennedy. Back in the 80s, under Ronald Reagan, the Democrats blocked Robert Bork, and then Reagan went with Californian Justice Anthony Kennedy, and Anthony Kennedy has been very bad on many of the issues that we care about, such as religious liberty, the sanctity of human life, etc., now, he's been good. He was good on a couple of the most recent court rulings. But Justice Anthony Kennedy gave us Obergefell and, and many other cases that were a win for the liberals. Moving on, but also related to Congress and the Senate, this week on Thursday, the Senate had, uh, I'm sorry, the House of Representatives, the House Judiciary Committee, I believe, had a um, had a hearing, and the hearing involved Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and FBI Director Christopher Wray. And I'm going to play clip three here, and this is Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio pushing and questioning Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein as to why they won't hand over the proper documents. Let's listen. Chair recognizes the gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Jordan. For Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Rosenstein, why are you keeping information from Congress? Congressman, I'm not keeping any information from Congress that it's appropriate. In a few for minutes, Mr. Vote. Rosenstein, I think the House of Representatives is going to say something different. I don't agree with you, Congressman. I don't believe that's what they're going to say. And if they do, they'll but be I mistaken. I disagree, but I think, I think in a few minutes, the House of Representatives is going to go on record saying you haven't complied with requests from a separate and equal branch of government. 
that you haven't complied with subpoenas and you got seven days to get your act together. I think that's what's going to happen in a few. And that's just not, that's not Jim Jordan. I think that's the house. I think that's a majority of the House of Representatives in just a few minutes. I think that's going to happen. And I want to know why you won't give us what we've asked for. Sir, I certainly hope that uh, your colleagues are not under that impression. Uh, that is not accurate, sir. And you it can... is accurate. We have caught you hiding. Mr. Chairman, can we allow Rosenstein. the witness to answer? Well, there you have it. And that, that exchange went on and on and on. I mean, I was kind of getting a little flustered listening to it. I can't imagine if I was there. But what, what happened during that exchange, if I could have played it all, it's a little lengthy. But Representative Jim Jordan is trying to press the Deputy Attorney General as to why he won't turn over documents related to the Russia investigation. And these Democrats also on the same committee keep interrupting Jim Jordan. And it's not even their time. And they kept interrupting him saying, well, let, let, the, gentleman, let the gentleman answer, talking about Rosenstein. But it's not, it's not Rosenstein's time to answer. Each congressman and congresswoman has five minutes allotted to them to say whatever they want. And then the person testifying then has a couple minutes to reply. But these Democrats, of course, they're anarchists. They don't follow the rules. They keep interrupting Jim Jordan while he's trying to get his questions across. But, but Representative Jim Jordan is correct. And if you just watch uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and you listen to him and you read the news articles, you would think he's some angel who is being, you know, unnecessarily accused and attacked by these Republicans in Congress. And that is absolutely not the case. Congress for over a year has been requesting documents related to the Russia probe and trying to figure out what's going on here, and the Department of Justice keeps redacting these documents. So they'll send over the documents that are requested for, but there's black Sharpie over the whole thing, so nobody can read it. And, and, and Re- Rod Rosenstein, if you caught it there, he said, Representative Jordan, I have a, we have turned over all the appropriate documents that are, that are relevant to the case. But what you get the key word there, basically what he's saying is, we've turned over what I think you should have. But that's not the job of the Department of Justice. They're supposed to turn over everything, and then Congress can decide what's relevant and what's not. And the reason I think Attorney General, the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein doesn't want to turn over these documents, and he has been proven to hide stuff, and, and before I move on here, I want to say during the same hearing, he tries to say, well, you know, I have, you know, thousands of employees under me and, you know, I can't control what they do. And, you know, I'm not the one technically redacting it. But it, this is not the first go around. They've been trying this for a year. And so it's one thing if you have like a rogue employee who doesn't do what you tell them to, and then you have to go back and correct the problem and get things right. But that's not the case here. Congress has been trying for a year to get the right documents, and they continually are stonewalled. But back to what I was saying, the reason I think Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein will not turn over every single document related to the phony Russia probe is because the whole foundation for the Russia probe is sinking sand. And if he turns over the documents then it embarrasses not only him, but the entire Department of Justice. 
and the Russia investigation would fall apart. That's why Rosenstein doesn't want to turn over all the relevant documents. Because his name is on half the documents. Because he signed at least one or two of the FISA applications to spy on the Trump campaign and then to spy on President Trump when he is the president. And so Rod Rosenstein's got his hands all in this mess and he doesn't want to turn over the documents because it implicates him directly. So he's protecting himself and he's protecting the rest of the crooks at the Department of Justice. And I will note the the Department of Justice as an institution is a good institution, but it has some bad apples at the top who are running the show and it's not good. And you might ask, well, I thought, you know, I thought uh, Jeff Sessions was the head of the DOJ. Well, not really. Technically, on paper, he is. But this, this, this ship is running on its own. And Jeff Sessions is missing in action. He's doing these speeches across the country. Meanwhile, his own department's stonewalling Congress. This is unbelievable. Along the same lines, this is a headline out of the Washington Times, but Peter Strzok, many of you remember his name, a couple weeks ago, he was escorted out of the FBI building. And you might say, well, Walker, that's great. You know, they're rooting out corruption. And it is it is a good news story. Peter Strzok was the, was the FBI agent, the head of counterintelligence at the FBI, who headed up the Clinton Hillary, the Hillary Clinton email investigation, which was a joke. And he headed up the Russia investigation into President Trump, which is also a joke. And he was demoted after it came out that he was staunchly anti-Trump. But nonetheless, he's still an employee at the FBI in the Human Resources Department. And the Inspector General report that came out a couple weeks ago implicated him directly and his bias at the FBI. But he was walked out of the FBI building and he was not fired, which this is where I'm disappointed. And here's what his lawyer had to say. Quote, instead of publicly calling for a long-serving FBI agent to be summarily fired, politicians should allow the disciplinary process to play out free from political pressure. Well, I would say to his attorney, the disciplinary process has played itself out. It's called the Inspector General Report, which showed that your client, sir, is as corrupt as can be and as biased as could be. And he started this investigation into President Trump where there is no crime for the basis. And so the disciplinary process should have been done, should have already been done. The inspector general concluded that Peter Strzok was full of political bias. That is enough to say you're fired, Peter Strzok. Now, Peter Strzok is lucky that he's not in handcuffs. Maybe he will be one day. That would be excellent. Thanks for listening to Exposing Washington. Tune in next time, next Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Central. More on what's going on in Washington from a biblical perspective. Talk to you then.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.